I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to the very latest episode of the Andy J Podcast, episode number 87. Goodness me, we've had a lot of conversations, haven't we? <laughs> now this one, I am really, really excited for you to hear this episode. I genuinely feel this might be one of the best conversations of the year. And it's all thanks to my guest, who is utterly brilliant. And I don't say that lightly, by the way. We've had some amazing conversations this year, and some of the revelations and some of the fascinating characters we've had involved has just been extraordinary. But this one is really, really tasty. My good buddy, the musician known as Example, I called him up when he was in lockdown, when he was in quarantine, in actual fact. Returning from a a few weeks here in the UK... He went back to Australia where he now lives and at the time he was having to stay locked in a hotel room for two weeks before he was able to get back to his beautiful wife and his two lads. And that is when we chatted, right at the peak of his chomping at the bit to leave. And I mean, he's a good friend of mine anyway. I'm proud to call him my buddy. He's a great, great guy. Such a big thinker and just has the most awesome outlook on life. And I think you're going to find, if you don't know Example, if you're, I'm hoping you're very aware of his work, I'm hoping you've seen him live and you've jumped to his massive, massive back catalogue of awesome hits. But if you're not aware of the man behind the music, this is going to be one heck of a revelation for you because he is dynamic, brilliant, creative, thoughtful, kind. I just think he's brilliant and I think you're going to love it. So let me waste no more time with me and jump straight in with a very big chat with Example. The Andy J Podcast. Now I am very pleased to welcome my very special guest for the whole show. Now how's this for a bit of showbiz for you? We first met on a private plane heading to Montenegro. He's my favourite musical superstar. It's the one and only Example. How are you doing, buddy? Mate, I feel like this should be a big round of applause. Should we do a collector one? <laughs> yeah, we could. We could. I've got one somewhere. Hang on. Oh, no, it's not that one. I've got some sound effects with applause on somewhere. There you go. I don't know if you can hear that or not. Mate, you, I did. Usually when, we do, when, when you do like a studio interview and someone gives you a really big intro, you have three people in the room trying to sound like 16. Yeah, um, it's the woos. Woo! We, did pretty, we did a pretty good job there. It was, yeah. We did a pretty good job. <laughs> I played the wrong jingle, but that's fine. You know, it's I'm a novice yeah. of these things. It's all good. So listen, you're known to the world as example. I'm going to call you Elliot because that's your real name, if that's all right. Um, yeah. a, unless you want to be. Yeah, that's all right. Unless you want to be Mr. Example or something for the for the show, which is which is fine. I'm okay That'd with that. Weird. 
<laughs> it would be a bit weird. Is it one of those things? Right, because obviously, as as a musician, as an MC, as a I know you don't like to kind of label yourself too much with the things you do, but you have been singing on, on a lot of the recent tracks as well, as well as rapping and so on. Is it one of those things that when you mm-hmm. started out, everyone had the, 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 the cool names like your example and so on, but then as you've got a bit older... Well, yeah, yeah, everyone had a... Yeah, totally, you're on the right track. So when I was in the playground, um, in Wandsworth, in South London, when I was about, let's say, 12 or 13, I realized I was awful at football, awful at rugby, awful at basketball, wasn't very good at sprinting. Um, the dominant uh, music culture was black culture at school, you know, like whether it was hip-hop or UK garage music or jungle, and obviously the way people dressed and the way people spoke. I mean, it was a nice, it was a typical South London school, it was a great mix of everyone from everywhere. But it was also, you know, I wanted to be one of the cool kids, and I couldn't, I couldn't play football or, 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 or be very good at team sports, and I didn't develop as quickly as some of the kids at school, you know, in terms of physically. So I started rapping almost to kind of give myself a bit of uh, what I thought would be credibility, or you know, and that, and then I think one kid one day just named me example based on my initials being EG. But then as time goes by, you know, I'm 40 next year, you become a dad. And, um, you know, you meet more and more people on television and radio and studio. And after a while, you know, I've got rapper mates that I still call by a nickname. But I've also got a lot of mates like Professor Green. Well, I just call him Steve because his name's Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which actually must be slightly weird to kind of people that, that don't know you as individuals and just know you as kind of as kind of musicians and stars to see you two calling each other yeah. Steve and, and Elliot. It's a little bit like what? Well, I always call it almost like I call I call Professor Green Professor Green Steve almost as a bit of a a, a pee take, you know. Um, I think the thing with um, with names is like other rappers will come up to me and they'll be like, "Yo, what are you saying, X? What are you saying, E? You call E, you know?" Like I never really hear example that often anymore. It's almost like that's my name on a poster, yeah. and that's my name on Spotify, and that's my name on Twitter. But nearly everyone calls me L. Like Elliot, because of Elliot, they're just like L. Oh, L, what are you saying, L? Like my wife calls me L. My, you know, my kids obviously call me Dad. My mum and dad call me EJ because my name's Elliot John Gleave. I don't really get example at all. And I think as you get older and older, maybe you know, you know, I, I doubt everyone meets Jay Z and calls him Jay Z except for the people who announced them on the stage. Mr. You know Z. what I mean? It'd be Mr. Z or Sir Z, well, surely. Well, no, it'd probably just be Jay, you know what I mean? But it's, yo, what's up, Jay? I mean, like... <laughs> that would make sense. It's, it's just a bit of a weird one. I think rap has such, such connotations, you know, rap and hip-hop, such connotations and association with black culture that, you know, it, there's a lot of really cool um, nicknames and street names that are associated um, with a lot of uh, black music culture. And obviously, I make a part of what I do is it comes from black music culture. Well, in fact, everything I do, you know, whether it's house music or techno or drum and bass or rap, it all pretty much comes from black music culture. But I, I kind of feel like when you're a guest in that world, you know, as a, as a white male, um, you have to be even more respectful. But having an artist name is one thing. But I just feel like as I've got older and I've started rapping less, and singing more, the whole example thing almost just, it really just feels like a stage name and I'm just Elliot all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it, is it kind of strange? As a 16-year-old, 
16 year old, I was probably a bit more obsessed and, and wanting to be known by example. But that would make sense because at 16, you don't really have much of an identity. You don't really know who you are. You know, you're going through puberty. You're starting to experience, you know, your first uh, sexual experiences and your body's changing. So you maybe you cling on to a name like example a bit more. Like, you know, as soon as I got to university at 18, I would introduce introduce myself as example, which is really quite laughable <laughs> at university. Um, yeah. But now, you know, I people tend to go, we've got example here. Can I call you Elliot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely fine. You know, because otherwise it is that classic thing of like, a mum, you know, imagine your mum meeting, my mum met Snoop Dogg and she'd be like, hello, Mr. Dogg, you know, and it's just, <laughs> you'd like, stop making, stop making it awkward, just call him Snoop. Well, also, with, especially with the number of times he changes his name, I mean, that's even harder, you know, he's just like, it's, what's, even, it's even more difficult, yeah. Yeah, what's the new label today? Okay, I'll get a new name. I mean, it's, that's his thing, isn't it? Is it, is it a bit strange? Do you ever, do you ever have, I use the words lightly because I know that you're, you're obviously excelling in the field, but do you ever have slight imposter syndrome as a white man in, in a black musical space? Um, not really, because I think as long as you are respectful of the culture and, um, you know, I think the main thing that I realise is as long as you only talk about what you know as in, and as in life experiences that you've been through and don't claim to be something else, then you're all good. And that goes for black and white rappers, you know. Um, but ever since I started writing songs, whether they were rap songs or they were electronic songs or they were pop songs or they were, you know, I've done a rock album. Um, whatever, I, whatever I speak about, I only speak about my real life. I never, it's not like I become another persona and, and, and you know, take on another mantra or name and tell a story as if it's a film character. Some people do that, which is fair enough, but that's never been me. But I've always been, you know, even when I started to get famous around 2010, I always made sure that I would have um, black employees on the tour bus and uh, the support acts were black. And occasionally I'd jump on features for other black artists in terms of using my profile to help boost their profile. So I don't think it's fair for any anyone in my position to go and take um, black music genres like house music and rap music and just completely use it without giving anything back or showing any kind of respect yeah. to the culture and where it's come from. So I've always been really conscious of that, but it's been easy to do that because I grew up in South London, you know, surround, you know, with a really colorful mixture of friends, you know, yes. like it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, as London is, it's like, it's a great, it's a melting pot of cultures, which is amazing. Yeah. You're not like, so these, um, you're not like these cornered politicians that sort of say, Oh, I've got lots of gay friends and lots of black friends when they're, you know, when they're in the crosshairs. <laughs> it's not, exactly. it's not like that. Yeah. It's like, it's never, it's never been on my mind to try and it's like, obviously like growing up, you're aware of your, your skin color and you're aware that, you know, I'd, I'd be 13 years old and I'd be there like, why is it that my black friends are getting searched by the police and I'm not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And why are they why are they maybe getting singled out for certain things by the teachers and I'm not? And why are they struggling to find employment in certain shops and I'm not? So you're aware of white privilege at that age. So even when it comes to making music, which is essentially a black genre, it becomes even more. Um, you know, you, I didn't. You don't consciously think, oh, I need to do more for people because they're kind of like the people you've grown up with. But especially with everything that's happened in the last few years, I think it's a lot more on everyone's uh, everyone's conscience, and it's a great thing. You know, it's like it's not 
people, some people talk about it like it's a really weird thing to talk about. It's like, it's one of the easiest things to talk about. It's, you know, it's just there in front of us in terms of what needs to change and, you know, what, what terminologies we need to use. It's, you know, so many people going, oh, you have to be so careful about what you say. It's like, you don't have to be careful about what you say. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple, be, of, there's a couple of basics. Yeah. And it, there's a couple of basics, but it's like, you know, you know, when people are just like, oh, but, you know, it's the same way that people talk about LGBTQT. But, oh, but there's a new thing every week now, isn't there? It's like, well, yeah, listen to what they've got to say, educate yourselves, move along. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's nice it's really to speak not that to... difficult. No, exactly. And it's and it's 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 a tonic to speak to a kind of liberated soul in that sense, because you have had the upbringing that you've had. There are some people who have been closeted and therefore are yeah. afraid of things that they're not that, that haven't been part of their psyche. And it's new and it's frightening. And it's, oh, yeah, and just, the, you know, exactly. And they go and they, get, they say, oh, but I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, just ask them. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, you, uh, this whole thing like last year with this whole BLM thing, the amount of people that I would hear especially in Australia, because Australia is not, I don't, I don't think Australia is any worse or less, more or less racist than the UK. It's like, there's racism all over the UK still. I might not see it because they're not people I hang around with. But the weird thing you get is people go, oh, but you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an Asian man at work and I just don't know how, how he wants to be referred to as. So I'm like, well, just ask him. Yeah, yeah. or, or, or <laughs> how about just mean? find out his name? Turns out his name's Tony. Uh, how do you just call him Tony? You know, uh, I know what I mean, but you know, it's it's a weird world, but it still changes. You know, like I, I, I'm especially in Australia. You know, my my school was probably I don't know, I don't know what the percentages were, but let's just say it's a third white, a third Asian, and a third black. And my son's school is probably a thousand kids, and there's three black kids, and maybe twenty percent Asian. You know, from Vietnam, Korea, China, and so on. Mm. And then there's a few sort of Torres Strait Islanders, you know, Fijians, Samoans, um, but, but predominantly the school's all white. So you hear people say stuff in the playground, like parents, and I have to sort of pick them up on it. And it's not anything that's like really racist or derogatory. They don't dislike anyone for the color of their skin. They're just, they don't, they've just grown up surrounded by white people, so they just don't know what the right, what right things are to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you just correct them once, and they get it, and they're like, oh, thank you for telling me, Elliot. You're like, no worries. You know what I mean? That's when you say, it's, like, a, it's example to you, we love. Are, yeah, example to you, love. No, but we're all learning <laughs> all the time. You know what I mean? The world is changing. And, you know, there's a lot of things which, you know, based on history and everything that's happened before, there's a lot of things which are still changing and have to be uh, put right. But uh, the key thing in all this is, is just open communication and education and just, you know, it's everything from changing school syllabuses slightly. Um you know, when you think of the things that we are taught about in school, it's like, it's mental to think that there's this bog standard syllabus of everyone has to be able to name Henry VIII's six wives, but we don't know anything about the slave trade. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like, it's, I mean, I know, I know there's changes happening now, but, you know, it's almost like Winston Churchill did help us win the Second World War. But, you know, there's also all these other things that he did. It's like, it's, it's, it's okay to talk about everybody's good and bad sides. You know what I mean? It's like, you, otherwise, if we don't, people have got, tried to rewrite history over the years to present, you know, whether it's the Americans or it's the British, to present us as uh, angels with no, 
no uh, dark past. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, is, isn't that connected to the fact that people's barriers have changed now? You know, what, what we would have called when you <clears> and I were growing up, just about the sort of the, the, the older generation spirit was called true grit. And that basically meant don't talk about yeah. your feelings, you know, man up, power yeah. through it. Don't cry if you've cut your leg or whatever it might be. Whereas now, and this is yeah. very, obviously this is an incredibly positive thing, but it's something that older generations are still trying to get their heads around. Now the, the sort of buzzwords are mental health and acceptance and yeah. awareness. I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like there is on, on some levels that it's gone too far in some ways, you know, where, uh, it, you know, it's, it's tough because it's like, what's the where do you draw the line? It's like you, certain people you just like, oh, they actually don't need mental health support. They're just sort of clinging on to it because, and then there's other people who really do need it. But I think the majority of people, like, there is a fine line, but there is the majority of people do need it, and it is good to be open about it and to talk about it. But um, there's certainly like, you know, for instance, my mum and dad's generation, it's that just sort of like we're just gonna we just got on with stuff in our day, and I'm like. Yeah, that's cool, but where has it got you now? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, but then you know what? I'll ju- the next generation, my kids and your kids will be going through something completely different to what we did, and they'll hopefully we listen to them because um, that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's just like learning, passing on things. But I think the main thing that I've realised is that I'm always open to new advice, whether that's about you know how I can be a better person or what's changing in the world or, you know, better how I can be a better parent or a better friend or a better businessman or a better son and how I can apologize for things and open up to things. And, you know, maybe I'm really open to that. Whereas I feel like a lot of people from my mum and dad's generation aren't. They're like, this is how it's always been. We've, we've worked hard to get to where we've got to. We're 60, we're nearly 70 next year. We're not going to change now for anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, what, what, what's the harm in being 85 years old and still realizing that you can't say certain offensive words? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, no, it's, you're, you're right. And the change is, it's here, but it's, it's taken a while to kind of make a full impact, I think, on, on the wider population. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, uh, it's good that we're having all these open discussions. I mean, I didn't even know what I was going to be speaking to you about today, but I'm glad we brought this up because, quite frankly, some of this stuff's way more important than my my music and my tour, which we'll get on to. <laughs> we will. Listen, man, I, I wasn't sure, right? I've got nine pages. We've known each other for, I mean, quite a long time now. And I've got nine pages. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yes. And what have we got here? I've got nine pages of notes about things that I don't think we've talked about before. Right. <laughs> cause I was just like, cause I was yeah. thinking about this, like we could just chat as mates about whatever and just shoot yeah. the breeze. But there's a listener there that, that probably doesn't want to hear that. So, so I love that we've yeah. opened up on that because I wasn't expecting that would happen. And do you know what? I was going to start off by saying, tell me where you are right now. Cause you are in a significantly challenged situation. Yeah. Yeah. I realized that, there's all different levels of toughness. You know what I mean? Like, you're in prison. There's probably a reason you're in prison. So we're not going to sit here and feel sorry for you. But then there's the people who are in lockdown. But they've got maybe a garden and a swimming pool. And, you know... Well, in Australia, yeah, to be fair. To run around. We need to, we need yeah. to kind of tell so people, even, you're currently in Oz. So just so they know. It's I'm, not, I, live in Bris, I live in Brisbane. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, is even, you know, your... Um, yeah, your average income family in Australia, chances are they've got a decent garden and maybe a swimming pool. So a lockdown for them versus 
you know, your average income family, say in the UK, who might be living in a flat, uh, you know, in the suburbs or just outside, who aren't really allowed to leave their house. And they've, they've got two or three bedrooms and maybe four or five kids. And, you know, there's seven people under one roof. Lockdown for them versus lockdown for the person with a garden. I know every, if everybody gets affected differently and you can't really ever compare yourself to other people. Um, you can only really look at what's in front of you and what your situation is. And it's like, my sister lives in Bondi Beach, one of the best places in the world to live. You know, yeah. one, of the mo- one of the best cities and it's one of the most famous city beaches in the world. It's beautiful sands, beautiful houses, amazing cafes, restaurants, schools, parks, everything, right? And yet she's just this week come out of a 106-day lockdown and she lives with her husband and two kids in two bedrooms with a four-by-four-meter garden. Right. And she has had the worst time of her life. But then she's then got mates who live in quite an expensive apartment at the end of her street but it's a three-bedroom apartment and they've got three kids and no garden. So it's like, and they're not allowed to visit the beach. You know what I mean? So it, it swings and roundabouts. I basically haven't seen my kids for six weeks because I flew back to the UK to play a load of festivals and do TV shows and promote the new single. And, you know, I recorded a load of new singles. So I had a really productive six weeks, but I always knew I was coming back for a two-week quarantine. Um, and I've got four days left. And... I think the toughest thing for anybody by themselves, and I don't just mean in quarantine, I mean the people all around the world who live by themselves, um, who, you know, I've got a friend who's single, lives in on the 38th floor apartment in Hong Kong. He was suicidal for a long time. Right. Um, and, I know, and I know he was suicidal because he never told me he was suicidal. Most people, when they tell you they're suicidal, aren't actually suicidal. It's the ones who, who don't. And it wasn't until maybe six months down the line I got chatting to him and actually, right, mate, there was a time there when you were really thinking about ending it, wouldn't you? And he was like, yeah. And then I had another mate of mine who lives in Chicago and he was living in a basement apartment by himself. He worked for a tech company and he just got divorced and his kids were back in England who he used to see, you know, three times a year. And he was thinking about packing it all in. Um, And I know that again because he didn't tell me. You know, because when people threaten to kill themselves, they usually don't mean it. Okay. Nine times out of ten, it's a, it's a cry for help. In my experience, anyway, it's always the ones, you know, I've lost a lot of friends, as, as, as most of us have. You know, we've all lost people to suicide. And in most cases, we never saw it coming because they projected this other image of fake happiness, you know? Yeah. And I think the main thing that separated, uh, I don't want to say the men from the boys, it sounds a bit sexist, but you know what I mean? The, the you know the the tough cookies from the the not so tough cookies is how people deal with lockdown and isolation and quarantine, either solitary or with their partner or with their kids. And this has been a real test for me. And the only thing that's kind of got me through is thinking about some of my friends who, you know, were dealing with probably the worst. You know, it's not natural for human beings to not have communication and, you know, everything, all these senses, touch, smell, taste, you know, hearing, you know, all these things, uh, you're meant to fill these every day. That's what makes us human. And the moment you can't kiss someone 
or stroke someone or smell someone's hair or laugh at someone and breathe in the same air. You know what I mean? These basic fundamental things that make us human. I think that's when people start going crazy. And I'm on day 10 in quarantine. I'm training four times a day to get through it. But my kids are probably a kilometre away in our yeah. house. Yeah. And I haven't seen them now for nearly eight weeks. And it's absolutely eating me up inside. Like, I'm waking up at 1am, crying for 10 minutes, and then almost meditating to get myself back to sleep. And, um, you know, so when people say how tough quarantine, I'm like, it's really tough, but people have had it worse. Yeah, that's the And then they're like, yeah, but don't compare yeah. yourself to other people. And I'm like, well, I have to, because I've had people who were thinking about throwing the towel in completely and ending it all. I'm not here at all like that. I know that I've just had some, I got one of the best jobs in the world. I get to travel the world, but I've been double vaccinated. I've been I had five PCR tests in nine days, and I'm still in a hotel room. <laughs> yeah, it but, is. It is pretty nuts, isn't it? When you think about it, you you've not got COVID. You know, you've had that checked multiple times, and yet you still have to stay locked up in a room with your family just over the valley. And yeah. it's it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, but I'm no I'm no better than you know. I don't deserve special treatment compared no, to no, no one does. I'm, I'm more just saying everyone's having the same thing. It's just uh, yeah. You know, everybody, I think, during COVID in lockdown started either questioning their jobs or their diet or their relationship with their wife or they started looking at their kids differently. Yeah. And of course you would because you're spending all day every day with the same people or all day every day with no people in some people's cases, you know, locked up by yourself. So it affects us all. And I think... I had, my wife and I were so lucky, you know, with our house in Brisbane, like, yeah, we went a bit mad at times and we argued and we shouted and the kids were crazy. And, you know, even though we were in lockdown in Brisbane, it was only a few months, we were still able to go and do an hour's exercise and we would take them to the local national park and climb up a, a waterfall, you know. So doing these amazing things that you can only really do in, you know, if you live in the bloody Lake District or Australia, you know. Yeah. But, we had it pretty easy comparatively so I think I used that time to get really fit and healthy and write an album and now I'm here this has been the longest two weeks of my life like 10 days has felt like three weeks yet yeah, the six weeks I was in London doing festivals and recording songs and doing constant radio and TV six weeks felt like two weeks yeah yes. it's like um, I mean like how did you how did you cope during you, 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 and you and your family. What was, did you? It was crazy. Were you still like broadcasting? Yeah, you broadcasting we, still. We had to do all kinds of things to be able to do it. I had to set up a studio at home, and we uh, we transformed a lorry so that we could make a, a portable studio that could be COVID friendly, and we'd be going to stars' driveways because people couldn't leave their houses. So we could take this lorry that you push a button like a transforming like a transformer, right? And you push a button, and the whole thing just mm. turns into a studio. And so we'd be rocking up at Gabby Logan's driveway and Richard. David Attenborough's driveway and various others. Um, not David Attenborough. I didn't, speak, didn't speak to David Attenborough. Didn't, I, didn't, I, got him, I got him mistaken for Jeffrey Archer for some reason. I was In my head, I was like, I kind of, older fella that I spoke to recently, you know, it was Jeffrey Archer, it wasn't. But yeah, so that, that was, we had to get creative to, to be able to continue. Um, but it was very strange because, you know, the crew were all remote and we were editing remotely and we were checking in on each other and, and, you know, Zoom calls and so on and so forth. Whilst homeschooling, which 
drives you slightly crazy. Everyone, I think, felt that. And we also decided, you know, we got a bit bored, so we had another baby. So, yeah, we got we got pretty busy during lockdown. <laughs> I think got a bit bored is one way of, uh, I don't know how, <laughs> that's the best way to she was she was stuck with Should me, we, uh, right? I was literally the only thing on the menu. She didn't have any other choice. Babe, I'm really bored. Yeah. I'm really bored. It's all right if you go upstairs and take your clothes off. <laughs> um. And I'm like, all right, all right. But she needs to watch a little bit of, you know, Joe Cole on the telly first. You know, all right, fair enough. You know, then I'll, 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 I'll come up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, no, we, yeah, I would be a liar if I said we had a good time. We had, like like everyone, we had some very privileged moments of togetherness and family bonding, and, and that was wonderful, and I love it, and I cherish that. And, you know, that enforced time yeah. out, I think a lot of people had the opportunity. If if we'd kind of known, I think I... Think I I think I speak for the masses when I think if we'd known, right, here is the deal. This is what's going to happen with lockdown. It's going to last this many weeks, not this uncertain and then it's extended and la da da. That's, I think, what drove people really crazy. I think if we had just known at the start, okay, there's three months, that's what it's going to be. You've got to get through three months where you can't see other people, where it's just, you're just in your house and so on. Then I think people would have had more stability, more ability to cope. It's like you guys in Australia, you, you keep getting locked back up again, don't you? Because it's things change, things yeah. permeate, and it's like, oh, here we go again. And people don't well, know how long it's going well, to last. What it is, it says, I think the main thing is that the, the problem you've got is as soon as you go into lockdown in Australia, the prime minister sort of becomes irrelevant and everyone's governed by the individual state premiers who are the equivalent of like a state senator in America. So, okay. you know, like the UK will have um, like councillors uh, um, and MPs for certain areas or boroughs or counties or cities, you know, MP for Greater Manchester. Whereas in Australia, they have um, the seven states. And each state has its own premier. And usually all these premiers would be in uh, Canberra or in, you know, in, in Parliament, as you like, the equivalent of Parliament, chatting with the Prime Minister. But the Prime Minister almost becomes irrelevant during like coronavirus because it all be- comes down to individual state laws based on how, much, how many COVID cases are in each state. So, but the way they were dealing with it was really weird. So, for instance, like, like Darwin, which is up in the Northern Territory, which is like, you know, one of the most northern... Uh, cities in Australia. It's also one of the most remote cities in the entire world. Um, like Darwin, I think, is closer to, um, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, like Malaysia um, and Indonesia than it is to Sydney. Like, it's right up the top. And, like, you know, it's like they have the wet season. It's 40, 40 degrees every day. Darwin had, like, 11 COVID cases throughout the whole of coronavirus, 11. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the population is, I'm going to guess, but I'd say it's like 100,000 people. You know, Sydney's three and a half million, Melbourne's three and a half million, Brisbane's two, two million. I think Darwin's maybe 200,000 people and they had 11 COVID cases. I was lucky enough to play the first festival anywhere in the world last October after COVID. So last October, I went up and played 5,000 people in Darwin because Brisbane and Queensland was COVID free. Uh, Sydney was in lockdown, Melbourne was in lockdown, Perth, I think, had a few cases. But what they did wrong in Australia is they basically shut down all the borders, i.e. no one comes in, no one goes out. Mm. And then they started shutting down interstate borders. But instead of, like, pressing ahead and ordering vaccines and going, right, this is going to be the way the world opens up again, we're looking at our news every day over here going, 
like Channel 7 News, Channel 9 News, Fox News, CNN. Oh, my God, America's absolutely... Look at the state of America. Look at the state of the UK. Oh, 100,000 new cases a day. In Australia, it's like, oh, we've got 500 new cases a day for the whole of Australia, 30 million people. Um, we're going to be fine. We'll, we're, we'll wait for the rest of the world to deal with COVID. We'll just keep our borders shut. Yeah. And then hopefully when COVID is completely eradicated, you know, I, everyone's dead or the virus is dead, we'll open up our borders again. Whereas really, you know, as much as like Boris Johnson's an absolute buffoon, but, and, you know, he's a clown, but whether you, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be political here. He's like, he's, whether you vote conservative or labor or Lib Dems, you can't not say that Boris isn't a complete buffoon. I think because he was delivering the news to us, um, it just felt like a bit of a farce because he's a farcical character. You know what I mean? He's a he's like a spitting image character, isn't he? Yeah, so, I know what you mean. Yeah. I think, and I mean, I again, I'm not. This isn't a political agenda here. I'm just saying I'm not going to get into my politics. I'm just saying that no one can argue that Boris isn't a buffoon. Um, well, it was like you, you saw Bond, you... you saw Bond recently, right? Sorry, I'm, we'll come back to it, but yeah. just just on the Boris thing, there's a moment where M goes, oh, I've just got to check this with the PM. And you're like, no, no. Nah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, surely not. But I think what I'm getting at is it's very hard to stomach and listen and take advice from someone. When he's presenting you the so-called facts and laying down the laws, it kind of winds you up a bit because he's, you know, there's this sense of this old boys club, this old Etonian um, you know, Bullingdon Club um, character uh, where it's entitlement and spoil and upper class and rich. And his like, his whole image is kind of the embodiment of that, you know, be- before you even get into his politics. So when you've got that person telling a whole nation of what, close to 70 million people, we've just spoken to the, and the rules are this, and this is going to be the law and you can't leave your house. Hearing those words from someone like him actually grates you. Even if yeah. you're a Conservative Party fan, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hearing it from him kind of would, it riles people up. And that was, and I, I know it's doing it for me and I was living in Australia and everybody I spoke to in the UK, and I've got a few aunties and uncles who vote Conservative and they're like, Boris Johnson's an absolute, yeah. word, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I then do. I've got other mates of mine who, you know, were living in council estates with their three or four kids who are obviously going out of their minds dealing with, hearing these announcements from Boris in the way that he delivered them, you know, where it doesn't seem genuine and it seems a bit farcical. So I think you've got that, but then secretly or behind the scenes the whole time, fair play, the British government were mass producing the vaccine and trying to find the vaccine as quick as possible and get everybody immunized. Yes. And for that reason, I was able to come back to the UK this summer and play festivals to 30,000 people. So whatever your views on that whole farce, back, you know, back in 2020, you know, you know, last September, October, November, when the death rates and the COVID cases were at their highest and the suicide, suicide rates were at their highest and the depression was at its highest. I've just been to the UK for six weeks and had one of the best times of my life, not just my career, but seeing friends as the happiest we've ever been, the most emotional we've ever been, you know, the most we've ever partied, the most we've ever drunk, the most we've ever cuddled, the most we've ever poured out our hearts and told each other how much we've loved each other. And that's what we've done because of COVID. Mm. And then to come back to Australia 
where I'm in a two-week quarantine, having been double vaccinated and had five PCR tests in 10 days that are all negative. It kind of just shows you how Australia was the best place in the world to live 12 months ago and is now, not saying it's the worst place to live, but we're just how different countries have dealt with coronavirus. And, you know, it makes it does make you question their, um, you know, their love for their people. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, no, with the kind of value of freedom and so on. How? What's the? Sorry to kind of go on about COVID, but you know we're not in Australia. You no, mate, I, I literally right now. Listen to this. This is my door in my hotel. Listen, I'm locked into my hotel room, and there's nothing I can do about it. Wow, they literally won't let you out. Hello, I'm Amber. I work for the team that bring you this show and the Driven Chat podcast, and we love that you're listening. It would be really cool if you could just chuck us five stars, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thank you. The Andy J Podcast. I cannot open my hotel room door. Crikey. And I know that there's some hotels where you can and there's some where you can't. It depends on the locking mechanism. But I cannot physically get it out. If there was a fire in my room right now, I'd have to call reception and ask them to come and let me out. That's nuts, man. That's nuts. And that's nuts. And that's in that's in uh, the Western world, you know, a <laughs> first world country in a democracy. And I can't leave my hotel room. And I'm not, I, ha- I haven't, you know, been tweeting about this or going on Instagram ranting because it's not my style. I'm just going to like get on with this because I have to right now. But it just, everything seems at odds right now you know what i mean how's the um how's the face mask situation over there because i've i've been in london loads recently and been really thrown at how few people have bothered with face masks now yeah i know it's it's absolutely mental um how how little um uh, people seem to care i mean i i'll be honest i was on the tube a few times without one and it was it was only just because i just completely forgot like to bring one out with me i think you know I, i hold my hands up and it was pretty ignorant of me to be walking around London without a mask, even in my pocket. Um, and I feel, I, know, I, I, I actually had a few people picking me up on it on social media and I had to apologize. Um, because I was on a trite at the tube a few times without a mask. And I'm very lucky that I didn't get anything. And it also goes against everything that I stand for, because I do believe that whether you've been vaccinated or not, it's about the vulnerable potentially getting the virus. You know what I mean? It's not Absolutely, about... yeah whether I'm fit and healthy and whether I've been double vaccinated, it's about the other people. So I, um, let's say I was in London 45 days. I probably wore a mask 40 of those when I was out and about, but there was a few times where I forgot. So I do get that some people forget, but I also get, there seems to be a lot of people aggressively not wearing masks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there are some people standing up. I've been up stuck and, indoors. Oh, all right, yeah. for, I've been here for a year and I ain't been able to leave the air. So I'm going, I ain't wearing a mask no more. I think um, there's a, I don't know, like, I don't mind talking about all this COVID stuff. I find it quite fascinating. But one of my good friends, his mum, yeah, she's about 55 years old. She's one of the leading scientists in Stockholm in terms of the uh, studying the coronavirus. And my, they, she actually, the research that they've been producing in, in uh, actually Scandinavia in general recently has been showing that you're more likely to catch it through particles entering the membrane of your eye because your nose and mouth, generally speaking, for a particle to travel all the way up your nose and all the way down your throat, it's actually uh, it's, it's a lot easier to absorb it straight into the eyeball. Oh. 
you know, the, if you think about the eyeball and what it's connected to, it's just covered by like a thin layer of, I don't know, I don't know what scientific term is, I'm not a scientist, but let's say some kind of eyeball mucus. Uh, the eyeball membrane is just there, open, ready to absorb, uh, you know, droplets or particles straight into your eye and straight into your bloodstream. So they actually think that we should all be wearing glasses or eye protection rather than masks. That's the new research that I was reading yesterday straight from my mate scientist mum in in uh, in Scandinavia. That is the so, first time I've heard that. I, I, feel, I feel like I'm going to now become that sunglasses guy. You know, this that's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it does if you think about it. It's It's just... Yeah, I mean, let's hope if that's if that's real, that gets circulated quickly. Because yeah, we could all just start wearing clear glasses. Those of us that don't need glasses, we could start wearing ones just as a as a kind of safety measure. That would make sense, wouldn't it? No, yeah, but I, I'm assuming you couldn't just wear like Ray Bans. It'd have to be like wrapped around Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> you need the full shab- mirrored as well, obviously. Yeah, everyone going by shares in Oakleys right now. <laughs> yeah, that was crikey. Yeah, I mean, that could be, you'll end up looking like Cyclops, you know, having that full, that, I mean, that could be a new look for human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mankind yeah. has changed. Why? Well, we've all got to wear Cyclops glasses to avoid coronavirus. It's, <laughs> it's as nuts as everyone having to wear a face mask, isn't it? You know, it's, you wouldn't have thought this exactly, three years ago. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. Crazy stuff. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm going to look uh, into that. I feel like you're going to get a lot of, uh, on our chat so far we have have, i mean we haven't been controversial but we have uh we've got all the hot topics today well we were yeah we haven't just chatted about new music and stuff one more because i just then we'll move on to more serious example based i've been talking about music and touring non-stop for weeks i'm i'm quite happy to offer my really bad scientific (laughs) advice (laughs) (laughs) well look i was gonna say because you've been saying how you know obviously during quarantine you haven't been kind of whinging on on social media and so on and like from an observer looking at instagram and such where you're very prolific i felt like you've been winning at it because you know you've ordered exercise bikes which you can hire and so on to come to the room and everything so you've and yet i've i have loved the nonsense that you've had from people as well be like oh because you're a rock star it's so easy for you and all the rest of it rather than the fact that you've just been proactive <laughs> in giving yourself something to do you like people well, no, are... I, before i got here i googled um someone told me you could hire exercise bikes during so i googled it and ordered one and then someone comments oh yeah typical rich person i love the fact that like don't get me wrong like, i've worked hard and i've done all right in my career but i know lots of celebrities who are absolutely broke who might have a million followers i just think there's just it really winds me up when people just sort of want to use the word rich or celeb, you know, it's just like, okay, I do get, a, you know, a couple of nice freebies because I, I'm on stage performing to 30,000 people sometimes, but I also pay for my quarantine hotel and pay to hire my exercise bike and pay for all my meals, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really unfair that people have this view. You know, I saw, I did this little comedy sketch video, did you see, where I was like, hello, yeah, it's We've got an example staying with it, with us at the moment. There's only three stuff you want to send over. He'll take anything. <laughs> yeah. Because people just assume, you know, like obviously we started this interview by saying we met on a private jet on the way to Montenegro. That was obviously for to test out a new Jaguar S-Pose. That's right. Um, you know, so they'd invited us for a reason. It's not like you and I bought a private jet. But, <laughs> Although that's, you know, that's, that's next I'm year. Not, <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. I'm not going to claim that I don't get perks um, with my job. Um, I do because like, I don't ever really go out there and search and ask for certain things, but people approach you and they're like, I'd like you to wear my trainers on stage. Okay, that's like a two-way transaction. I get I get free trainers I wear on the stage. I, I, you get to post a picture of me wearing them on stage. But why the hell they think someone's going to just go, Examples in quarantine. Send him an exercise bike now. He needs you a PlayStation I mean? really... Five and and all of the streaming yeah. channels instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't get me angry. It doesn't even rile me up. I feel like I'm more have to do it just to defend other people in, in general in my position. And I don't mind saying famous people. I'm like, it's okay. I'm I'm famous for you know I've, I've had a successful career yeah, there's, a, there's a difference for, though Elliot I'm, going, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not famous for going on Big Brother or having sex <laughs> on Love Island do you know what I mean exactly there's, you're famous because you have a talent and something that you've dedicated yourself to and a, and a fan base that you've built <laughs> yeah. up and, and nurture whereas you know there are influencers out there these days who, who will be sent free stuff just because they'll put a picture of it online and what is their skill exactly I'm in some cases I'm not really yeah. sure I don't know it's, it's a funny old but world mate, you know what it's I, I, I've met a lot of these people and you meet them at, you know, VRC areas or you meet them at launch events and for the most part, they're absolute sweethearts, you know. They're, well, that's because um, you're famous. Really that's because they know who you are. Yeah, I know. Than, you know, you'll, you'll no, get a different I mean, impression of them than Joe Bloggs. You get a, you meet a different person. Yeah, I know. I, I get you. But I think my main thing I wanted to say is that the, the only danger is with these influencers it's like look i'll be honest i have never done a paid post ever like the other week i posted some photos of me in the new armani campaign because so you're an armani, armani model armani. baby yeah 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 well obviously you know because i've got massive teeth and a funny face so I, they all wanted me to be an armani model um, <laughs> but i think that what i'm getting at is i posted pictures of that which is part of the armani campaign but i wasn't under any ob- the gates post pick Armani clothes by Armani. What, what the danger with these influencers are not necessarily what they're doing right now for their own lives because you know they're earning an honest living and they might get paid twenty grand to, to post about a new fake tan or they might get paid you know five grand to wear a tracksuit or they get paid thirty grand and they go on a free holiday and promote the resort. No one can take that away from them. It's like they. They might have really been struggling in life. They've got no job, no idea what to do. And all of a sudden they're making money. Great. You know what I mean? They're paying their taxes. They're an honest uh, tax-paying human being. Sure. The main worry and issue for me, and I'm already seeing it with people in my family, whether it's um, my neighbor's kids or my nieces, or it's this pressure to look a certain way. And that is the... Like, look, my generation of people grew up and if someone got a tattoo, it's because they really wanted a tattoo. Right. And I've never had any tattoos and I'm not anti-tattoos at all. I think they look amazing. Some of them are absolute works of art. The danger is, is I know a lot of people my age, and I'm nearly 40, who got tattoos because they always wanted a tattoo. Or maybe their dad had them or their older brother had them or their favorite footballer had a tattoo or their favorite rapper had a tattoo. And they saw that in magazines. Now there's this whole thing of, you, you know, you're 14 years old, you get Instagram, and you're following people who are pro- projecting a lifestyle which isn't att- obtainable to 99% of the human race. I, every day they're in a new Gucci tracksuit. A Gucci tracksuit costs a thousand pounds, right? Whether they've been gifted it or they paid for it, it's 
you know, if you post a hundred pictures a year and every day you've got a new outfit and that outfit costs between one and 2000 pounds, because that's what Gucci and Givenchy and Chanel cost already. People aren't doing the math. That's 200,000 pounds worth of clothes. Yeah. Now, if you are by spending £200,000 a year on clothes, whether you're being gifted them or you're doing discounts or not, the quick maths on that is, say even if you earn a million pounds a year and you pay 50% tax or 55% with your national insurance, you earn a million pounds, you earn 450 grand, and you've got a Ferrari and a Lamborghini in this amazing house that you supposedly own. Are we meant to believe you're spending half your income on Gucci tracksuits? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where it's all a bit, I'm worried about the next generation of kids who may go to work every day for a month just to pay for a Gucci tracksuit because their favorite influencer has one. And I know these things have always been there, even with magazine culture. You know, I grew up reading magazines and I saw people wearing certain clothes and certain watches and drove certain cars and had certain jewelry. But like, I, I maybe saw that in a magazine once or twice a day. And then I maybe watched MTV and saw that once or twice a day. Whereas these kids, the new generation, are seeing 200 times a day people eating the best food in the best restaurants with a brand new watch, with a brand new car, with a brand new Gucci tracksuit. And they've just had their lip filler done and they've just had Botox and they've got fake breast implants. And they've got, and I'm not saying it. Anybody individually shouldn't have the right to do these things. It's just about the next generation of kids and like a 14 year old girl asking her mom if she can have lip implants, you know, and lip yeah. fillers. Yeah. And, and like 12 year old boys queuing up with their dads to buy the latest Supreme Nike collaboration trainers for 300 pounds. And I just feel like, you know, it's, people have freedom of choice, but it's just really worrying at how quickly it's escalated to this point you know what i mean i do right yeah it's like it's like look if i i have every right if i want to go out and buy a louis vuitton shirt i'm gonna go and do that but my whole and i don't own any louis vuitton shirts by the way i was gonna say that was a curious choice (laughs) no my point is is like my if you go on my instagram i'm selling you mental health awareness i'm selling you humor I'm selling you life advice. I'm selling you my tour tickets. I'm selling you my latest music. Occasionally, you might see me in an outfit and someone goes, where are those trainers from? Where's that hoodie from? But I'm basically just projecting me. And brand example is pretty much Elliot. They're inseparable. What I'm saying is is it's really worrying uh, that there's this whole new generation of people who can't stop posting pictures of themselves in the latest designer clothes because... It's like it's it's not realistically obtainable for ninety nine point nine percent of their followers. Yeah, and and I just wish that people with you know positions of power, and if you've got a million followers, that's a position of power and influence, and they're called influencers for a reason. And obviously, you're getting drunk off. Not, I don't mean alcohol. Here, you're getting drunk off your fame, high off your own fame and income, and you're out there projecting this image of. You you need to have your nails done every week and you need to have your hair done every two days and you need to have fake tan every two days. And, you know, even my wife, she's got nearly 200,000 followers and every time she goes to post something to do with her image, she she really sits and thinks long and hard about what kind of message she's sending out to young women. 
Um, but I feel there's a lot of people out there who just post nonstop and they're not really thinking about the next generation of, uh, you know, young guys and girls and what, what drugs, what slimming dieting drugs they're going to be taking and, um, what work they're going to be having done to their face or their breasts or their, their bum cheeks at 15 years old or, are they, have they got an unhealthy diet and relationship with food? And it's, um, you know, especially as a dad of a seven and a four year old, you know, it's not even like, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be so scared right now if I had a little girl and I was going to raise her in this world. And now I'm like, almost like, I feel the lesson I'm going to have to pass on to my little boys is almost like, obviously I'm going to raise them as feminists, but it's almost like, having to teach them about body confidence and just, uh, you know, empowering women in a way where it doesn't involve them having to make adjustments for their body. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And you're, you're so right, man. I mean, you've raised another massive point. You know, I feel like we've, in our chat so far, it's been a series of massive points, but this one is probably the most important <laughs> of a lot so far, which is... which is I don't like, even know how we got to it, to be honest. That's, that's <laughs> I meant. Well, it was influencers, wasn't it? And it took us to, you know, the negative side of, of social media, which is, of course, I mean, there are two negative sides to social media. There's the trolls, there's the people that get away with being complete so-and-sos anonymously, and they're not checked, and they just put out toxic bile towards people they'll never meet, and it's horrible, and it's a, it's a really poisonous thing. And then, like you say, there's the people that are affected by seeing other people who are obsessed with stuff and image and feeling that, that they should be comparing themselves to it. And it's a very strange... But, you know, it's not just the youngsters that are getting that, though, Elliot. You know, I, I have an ex-girlfriend who's a very successful actor. And she, um, she, we, we were chatting the other day. And I said, how come you're not on Instagram? Because she had an account with loads of followers and all the rest of it. And she went, I had to take myself off it because I was sick of comparing how everyone else is doing to me. And this is someone who's in Disney yeah. films and stuff. You know, she's doing great. I'm like, what? Yeah, but you're having it. You're smashing yeah. it. She's like, yeah, even so. Even so, I can't handle seeing other people. I think that's really good. Well, I mean, I deleted Twitter for a year and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Like, yeah. I'm back on there now, but I probably post twice a week because I was just getting, a, you know, one week I was having arguments with racist white people defending Black Lives Matter. And then a, a month later, I think the, the MC and rapper Wiley had been really anti-Semitic. And I basically come out in support of the Jewish community because now I'm standing up for the Jewish community because everyone was like, oh, Jews run the world. They, they run all the media. They run the banks. They run finance. They run, they run the government. And then you, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm defending black people against racist white people. And then I'm defending Jewish people against black people. And it was just like, I was like, I'm not. Why am I doing this? And why do I care so much? Like I was waking up and checking Twitter straight away just to see what arguments had been had and who I could have an argument with. And I was like, why am I on Twitter for a half an hour first thing in the morning instead of spending time with my son? Yeah, and it's not so just you're not just on there for half an hour, right? It was the it lives in your head. Yeah, it was the best feeling ever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it does live in your head because you're like, I need to make all these people realise that I'm a good person. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, and so I just deleted Twitter for a, a whole year, and then I rejoined Twitter, and I just said to my management, "Whenever there's something to post, you post it. Um, I'm not getting into any discussions or arguments. Like, it's, Twitter's the most toxic of all. I think Facebook is where people love um, to um, place propaganda." 
Facebook is just full of propaganda, whether that's like anti-vax propaganda or uh, anti-Black Lives Matter propaganda or sexist, um, you know, racist, uh, bigots, you know, homophobic. That all seems to live on Facebook. Um, and, you know, even like, you know, everyone thinks Trump won his campaign due to Facebook, you know, in terms of fake accounts and fake supports and propaganda-style videos to get support. Like, without a doubt, Facebook played a massive part in Trump coming into power. Um, and I think I avoid Facebook like the plague just because I just feel like, I know I've got, I've got 1.2 million followers on there, but I just let my management deal with it. And it's, yeah. it's just not a nice place to be. There's, you know, everything you post sort of gets questioned. Whereas Twitter is very different in terms of it's a toxic place. But if you say one thing slightly wrong, and it could be political, it could be about something in the news that day, because it's all about people attention seeking. It's literally the home of, I don't even like using the word literal, I hate that word. It is the home of keyboard warriors, yeah. Twitter. People hiding behind their computer screen, searching through and going, oh, Piers Morgan said this today. Right, let's all attack Piers Morgan. Uh, everyone attack Piers Morgan. Um, oh, I, oh, I see this tweet from 2012. Example said something nice about Piers Morgan. Let's all attack Example because he said something nice about Piers Morgan in 2012. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Instagram, there are a lot of on there. <laughs> But generally speaking, you can just sort of block them or mute them and then problem solved. Whereas Twitter and Facebook, you know, they're like cockroaches. They keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're resilient. <laughs> they and won't die. They yeah. won't die. And they've got about 16 accounts each. Yeah. And they've got 16 accounts and they've all got the St. George flag in their profile. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, oh. I'm proud to be, I live in Australia. I'm proud to be English, and I've, but we don't we don't have to let everybody else know that we're a little bit racist by having the central flag in our in our profile. <laughs> well, maybe that's the whole point. You know I mean? Maybe what that's the, why they've done it. Yeah, maybe that's why they've done it. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Crikey. I mean, hang on. Is there some world peace issues that we can get to? Should we talk about global warming? I feel like we're we're going with the big the big hitters here, Elliot. I mean, what? well, mate, we've been doing. We've done 59 minutes. I don't know. What, what do, I reckon we've got 10 minutes left before I fall asleep. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to do some kind of yoga meditation to get to bed tonight without being angry at the world. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm right. Actually, it's 8pm it's, it's here and I've just poured myself Organic Nature's Harvest Australian Certified Organic Shiraz. Oh, you've changed. Check this. Vin, vintage. Vintage from 2020. Well... <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, that'll be fabulous, mate. Well, I mean, it, is, it is in the past. It's in the past, so it's vintage. Presumably, I mean, presumably that you've been gifted that one. I guess someone's just sent that to your room so that you could have a nice... <laughs> <laughs> mate, I am... Um, you know what? Talking of gifts, let's just lighten this up for a bit now because if people haven't already switched off and they're still with us, um, <laughs> I, um, when I got back to the UK in August, uh, it was actually, no, it was actually July. Um, I hadn't been in, I've got my apartment in London still on the river. Um, and it's sort of like, I love it. It's like my little sanctuary where, cause London's such a crazy place compared to Brisbane. Like just, it just moves at a hundred miles an hour, which I love. 
It's great for, you know, the hustle and bustle of London, the the, the culture clashes, like the melting pot of cultures and accents and, and, and slang and fashion and music and food and, you know, just everyone living on top of each other. I love it. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't live there anymore. I couldn't raise my kids, but I missed it. So I have this little peaceful sanctuary on the River of Thames in uh, Fulham, just overlooking Barnes. And it's great because I can forget that I'm in London and like wind down after a crazy day. And I got back there and I hadn't been there for 18 months. Now, bearing in mind, over the since we moved to Australia three and a half years ago, I've been flying back and forth to the UK pretty much every three months for three and a half years, yeah. at least. So sometimes I've been back to the UK for two weeks, back to Brisbane for three weeks to see the kids, back to the UK for four weeks, back to Brisbane for a week, back, you know. Yeah. I, I did 11 return trips in 2019. But I had all this unopened posts and all these un, unclaimed packages. So you want to talk about funny free gifts, right? I had I started opening all these boxes. I was like, well, this is exciting. It's a bit like Christmas because, you know, Erin and I in Brisbane might get sent one or two freebies a week, and it might be someone's launched a new hot sauce. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, That's or all right. It might be... <laughs> It might be, uh, you know, uh, some socks, a new sock brand, um, or it might be um, free watercolor paints because they know we've got kids, or it might be a, a light-up yo-yo. You okay. know, just little things like that where a PR company's got it. Very occasionally, I'll get a new watch or Erin will get a new bag, you know. But generally speaking, you know, it's not as glamorous as people think. So I'm back in London and I've opened up all these boxes and Erin's FaceTime is just like, babe, don't open anything until I'm, until I'm on FaceTime and the kids are asleep because I really want to see what you've got. Because there were so many boxes because I hadn't been to London for like 18 months. <laughs> and then I started to open them up and one of them was like, here's a reusable water bottle made out of recyclable blah, 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 blah. Here's um, a, a hoodie from my new company. Please support, please tag me on Insta. Here's some new socks. Um, here's some digestives. You know, some weird. Lovely. I'm like, my neighbour, I was like, mate, you should. I was like, he's gone out of date. I said to my neighbour, mate, you should have opened this one. He should have <laughs> a massive digestive party. And then, and then you go down. And there's like, I won't name them, um, but a sex toy company. Brilliant. And in there, Brilliant. so they've got our address. It's Dear Elliot and Erin. Um, I hope this finds you well during lockdown. We are fully aware that people are going crazy in lockdown and the only way to get by sometimes is to release some of that sexual energy. So please find and close this amazing package of goodies from us here at da 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 uk. And it was a dildo, <laughs> uh, something, a vibrator, something for the male to wear around his... Um, well, yeah. well. And then, <laughs> and, so then I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm like... I'm like well, we, we find your Instagram story is hilarious and thought you'd enjoy it. So I'm like, well, you obviously don't follow me on Instagram because all my Instagram stories, I'm in the park in Brisbane or yeah. um, or running up a mountain in Trading. Brisbane or I'm by the beach at the Gold Course. Yeah, and you've sent all this stuff to my London apartment. Yeah. Um, anyway. You're not getting kinky in Fulham. Went, yeah. And it went, please, uh, please enjoy our lemon and lime flavor lube <laughs> and our limited edition uh, jalapeno... And whatever it was, flavored condom. Wow. Right? Okay. Like, who the hell wants a spicy <laughs> condom? Wow. And then, get this, 
end, that this is the killer. They've been really, um, <laughs> this is the first time I've told this story. I don't know, because probably because we're talking about celebs with free gifts. At the end, the condoms are by no means a reason for you to not have any more beautiful children. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which uh, sounds like, based on your, uh, you and your missus getting busy, the package probably should have come Should have sent it to me. Should have sent it to me. And I'd have told you if the jalapeno and lemon lube combo worked or not. You know, I mean, there we go. Such I couldn't a... think of anything worse, like either going on me or in me. Like, <laughs> is it jalap- jalap- jalapeno? Jalapeno. I couldn't think of anything worse. Imagine like the English version. It would be like um, Coleman's of Norwich flavoured English mustard. <laughs> Lube. So, I think this is the content your listeners have been waiting for. To this be is the, they want to hear about wasabi lube. That's it. Oh, mate. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> tell me tell me about the music, because we've had an hour of, of nothing to do with music. In fact, yeah, all the big points, but nothing to do with you and your new tracks and the new tour and so on. So come on, lay it out. Tell me what's going on. Right. I'm an I'm example. <laughs> um, my my UK tour is in January, February. Um, it's 14 gigs. It starts in Bexhill-on-Sea and ends in London, Brixton. Um, every big city along the way. Glasgow, Birmingham, Manchester, Nottingham, Bournemouth, Bristol, Cardiff, Norwich. Um, a few others I've probably forgotten. We're already about 50% sold on tickets, which is um, incredible considering the current climate for people not buying tickets um, because of all the uncertainty around coronavirus still. It's mad. It's like they said to me, they were like, my agent called me and he was like, Elliot, look, I don't know if you're going to sell well because everyone's just a bit like, I don't know what's happening in the world. If you do 10% of the tickets, you'll be doing well. Wow. And we did, a, we did a third of the tickets in the first day. Come on. Which can, Considering I haven't had a hit single for quite a while, and um, I keep thinking, I know I shouldn't say it, but I'm always like, oh, I'm 40, and everyone's like, shut up. No one cares about age. They just care about, are you? can you rock a crowd, and have you got any good songs? So, you know, the new single's come out, smashed it. Um, Creamfields, we had a packed tent. Isle of Wight, packed tent. Um, Sundown Festival, massive for us. You know, every, every gig this summer's been amazing. The tour's selling... Um, I've, I'm signed to BMG now. Uh, I signed my new BMG deal, uh, a big record label, obviously. They used to be part of Sony. Yeah, massive. I'm signed in Sydney, but I'm signed for the world. It's my eighth album. It will be out next June. Um, I genuinely, honestly think it's my best work yet. Um, I'm, I'm sort of singing a bit softer. I'm not, it's not forced. I'm exploring kind of new genres that I haven't done before, new tempos and new keys. Like I'm singing new keys that I haven't really sung in before. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of the whole album's a reflection on can we still behave like idiots as we grow older? You know what I mean? Like that, like I won't give away the album title, but it's sort of similar to that sentence I just said. It's basically like, as we grow, as we grow old, do we have to grow up? You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. Um, Cause you know, I'm sure you can relate to that, but I think the main thing is, is like, as soon as you have kids, you're then like, do I have to start behaving differently? And obviously you do in front of them, but then you also need mummy and daddy time. That's it. <laughs> um, That's it. 
And I think that's the main thing I've realized is I've chatted to all my friends and it's whether they're new, new parents, you know, they're 30 years old or, you know, they're, they're, their kids are 11, 12 or their kids are off to university and they're maybe like 50 years old now. And the main thing you realize is it's just like we all have to have this inner child in us. This, uh, we all have to have a bit of mischief and everybody has to have some kind of vice. And I'm not saying everyone needs to <laughs> be a gambling addict or have a prostitute. I'm not talking about that kind of vice. I'm just thinking about everybody needs, I'm talking about vice in, the, in a loose term. We all need to let our hair down um in some way and you know it's I, I think it's quite unnatural as a human being to live this perfect clean safe you know lifestyle yeah man. i don't think that we're, we're put on this planet for that and i've like I, i've even said to some of my mates who've like battled addiction and now they're completely stone cold sober they've found other things in life to get their fix to get their buzz you know what i mean absolutely and for some of them, for some of them, it's like jumping out of airplanes every other week. For some of them, it's bungee jumping. For some of them, it's like um, you know climbing glaciers. Uh, one of my mates who used to be a heroin addict, who's been clean now for eight years, every week goes and jumps in the River Thames in Henley and swims for like four miles in freezing cold water. Oh, and he him. says it gives him the same 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 feeling as you know drugs. Wow. So what I'm saying is like this, this, this is what my whole new album is about. And it's 15 tracks and every track talks about a different aspect of childhood versus adulthood versus, you know, um, behaving, misbehaving, growing up, growing old, you know, and that's essentially, I think it's probably my most important album yet, certainly in terms of concept. And that'll be out next next May or June, I think. Amazing. The album's completely finished. Um, and I just think, I don't think it's going to change the world, but I certainly think that all my fans, I think even if you're 16, 17 years old and you're listening to this album, you'll relate to it. But I also think if you're 40, 50, 60 years old, you'll listen to it and go, fuck yeah. You know, because I've really tried to pinpoint lots of key moments in my life and analyse them, but make them as relatable as possible. I can't wait to hear it, man. This sounds fantastic. And I think, you know, like when I wrote Kickstart, the lyric that the chorus dropped drop is, and the love kickstarts again, which is about, you know, hanging on to relationships that isn't working or falling back into love for someone. But the key lyric in that for me that I wrote, which I still think is one of my best lyrics I've ever written, is you might be holding your hand, but I'm holding it loose. And it's that sense of, I'm still in this relationship, but I'm just going through the motions. I'm not actually meant to be with this person. I'm like, I'm walking down the street holding their hand, but I'm holding it loosely. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure of this relationship. And I, I've really dug deep on this new record to try and find lots of lyrical moments like that, which can sum up, you know, um, how, how you feel about someone. Um, you know what I mean? It's like my new single every single time, which is out now, it's just come out about a month ago. The lyric for the drop, because I always like to have a big poignant lyric that everyone can sing at the top of their voice. The lyric is, every single time I hear this song, I think about you every single time I hear this song, um, which I think relates to a lot of people, and yeah, it's obviously right. quite self-referential. But the main thing is, if you listen to the verses, it's like, I can't forget your face, 
I should have took you home. I think about you every single time I hear this song. Remember how you taste. You know, it's like the song is actually about if I'd have met my wife and never seen her again and what that had meant. It's like, you know, that sliding doors film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if I'd have met my wife and never It's the multiverse, isn't it? You know, yeah. yeah. It's the multiverse. But it's kind of like if I'd have met my wife and never got her number or, you know, we'd have kissed, we'd have chatted, we'd have spoken. And and I think that, you know, I don't, I'm not sat saying, saying I think this is really, really clever and genius that it's never been done before. But for me, it's kind of, you know, it's, um, what is it? I can't forget. I, I think the second verse is, I can't forget our chat. You told me about your fears. It had only been five minutes, but I felt I'd known you years. Remember how you smiled. I should have took you back. And now I've got to sit here wondering where the hell you're at. So even though I've written so many to- so many songs about my wife and about my girlfriends and about my life experiences, for this song I had to draw upon what if I'd had never taken my wife home with me that night. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I can't wait. I, think, I literally can't I wait to hear this. People, yeah, so people, like, when they, you know, this new single's been out a month, the amount of messages I'm getting going, oh, my God, like, this song reminds me of my ex or this song reminds me of, the night I met my husband, or this song reminds me of a girl I fell in love with once on a on a holiday when I was twenty one, and I think that was kind of what I was trying to get in get at in you know when I was talking earlier about human senses and how being in isolation can affect a human being so much. Um, that's kind of like where I'm at with this song is it's like how music can make you remember a moment, but also how smells and touches and tastes, you know. I can't forget your face. I never grabbed your phone. I think about you every single time I hear this song. Remember how you taste. I should have took you home. And now I'm sat here reminiscing all alone. It's like, I think this song, I wrote it about a certain time of my life, but I think all of the words that I'm using came from a feeling of being stuck in isolation and missing other human beings' interactions. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, completely get you. Love it, man. And the, and the new well, I think album. What a lovely place to leave this on. It's a beautiful thing. And the new album sounds amazing. Brixton in January, February time next year. I'm there, man. I can't wait. Yeah, so Brixton's, uh, Brixton's, I think, wait, let me tell you just quickly, just quickly. Just, um, just Brixton one more is, thing. Just one more thing before we go, lad. Yeah. Because, you know, we're using a massive platform here. Um, the tour starts in Bexhill on the 26th of January. Then we do Exeter, Bournemouth, Cardiff, Cambridge, Glasgow, Leeds, Nottingham, Manchester, Newcastle, Norwich, Bristol, Birmingham. Finishes on London, Brixton, Saturday the 12th of Feb. You will be there, mate, in the crowd, and we'll be having shots of tequila afterwards. It's on. It's on. I'm going to get my ticket now, man. I can't wait. Bring it on. All right, mate. Well, love to the missus. Love to the kids. And you, sunshine. Um, this has been an amazing chat. Four days' time, and it all Four changes. Four more days. Yes, Come on, baby. Four Come more on. Days. Podcast. Didn't I tell you I loved that conversation? He is just such a top man, and and wow, what a guest! Hey, listen, thank you so much for your company today, and those of you who are regulars, who are followers of the show, you're the best. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. Last week, the Katie Mellower episode, just within an hour of it landing, I had so many comments on my uh, social media. People find me usually via direct message on Instagram, incidentally, and. 
so many people just within moments talking about the first album they bought and how they love listening to albums in full and various other things and what an insightful and clever bright bright spark Katie was so thank you so much for those comments of course the James Arthur uh, chat that we had went all over the place it seemed to have every journalist on the planet listening to it and writing about it so it's always nice when you realise that what you're doing is being heard and appreciated. So I want to say I appreciate you for taking the time to listen. Thank you. I have a very special conversation on the way next week with someone who you may very well be aware of or her name might be new to you. She is a super chef. She's a TV superstar chef called Chinghi Huang. And she has been on... She's had 11 of her own cookery shows. She's had, I mean, at least 10 cookery books out there. She's been a TV chef judge and various other things. But her story is just incredible. And I can't wait for you to hear it. She is a special, special lady and will be a very special guest. So please do join us same time, same place next week. Or, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this out of order or sometime in the future, not in real time as they were released, then please do skip ahead to the next conversation. It'll be episode 88 of the Andy J podcast and just dive in with a wonderful, wonderful lady. Meanwhile, go well, make someone smile, give out kindness to the world and I'll catch you on the flip side. Andy J podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.